Welcome to Details, Please. I'm Rose Reed, and my co-host is Gail Reed, my mother. Every episode, we attempt to get to the bottom of things. For this first season, we are featuring a mini-series on our greatest musical influences. Last episode, when we spoke to Amy Ray of the Indigo Girls, we were really touched by her reflections on her musical partnership and lifelong friendship with Emily Saliers. The beautiful thing about us is that neither one of us really compelled the other person to change something. It's completely the most central relationship in my life, you know, and affects everything and how my day is organized and how my years are organized and everything. And in this episode, we got to talk to Emily on the phone. In the 1970s, Emily Salyer's father was a theologian and professor of religion, and when he got a job at Emory University, he moved the Salyer's family from Connecticut to Atlanta, Georgia. Emily and Amy went to the same elementary school, but it wasn't until high school they became great friends. I met her in elementary school when we moved to Georgia, and I was playing guitar, and I even had a little band in the seventh grade, and... And then I remember that Amy was the other girl in school who played guitar, but she was a year younger. And then when we got to the same high school, we both were in the chorus. And that's when we became really good friends, like besties, and started making cassette tapes. And just we chose a million cover songs that we wanted to cover from James Taylor to Elton John to Carole King to Neil Young to uh, just, you know, countless artists. And it was the funnest thing ever. And that's just how our career started. Something fun that we never got tired of doing together. We grew up in Atlanta and um, we were in Grant Park until I was about middle school years. So, you know, um, the Indigo Girls for us were kind of like local, um, <laughs> you know, local celebrities. When Rose was five years old and I asked her what she wa- how she wanted to celebrate her birthday, she said that she wanted the, the Indigo Girls to come and, and play for her birthday party. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, I wish you uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They told me you were really busy. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember that. They were like, I think that they're really busy right now, but... You actually were our first concert that we saw you at the Fox Theater. Oh, oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> There's nothing more perfect than going to, like, a gorgeous, you know, landmark venue to see your kind of gorgeous landmark band, you know, when you're, like, I know, I know. I, I know. I get the same experience even now when, as a fan when I go see a concert and people are singing, and I just think it's so powerful. And, you know, even though in our concerts we're up on the stage, it feels like we're in the audience at times, you know. It just feels like everybody's singing, and we're really connected to the music, and it's a really, like, a safe and sacred space, and it's just fun. And so I never have lost that ability to get lost in that power of everybody singing together and being there for music. I just, I just love that. A lot of your songs were just kind of in and out of um, all parts of our early life. And 
Mom and I are really curious if you can remember your earliest musical influence. Well, I came from a really musical family, so I, I think my like my grandfather was a touring musician in the big band era, and my dad probably would have been a concert pianist if he hadn't become a theologian. He just got called to theology, and my mom played piano, and we, we were always singing in choirs, like children's choirs or a church choir, and, you know, and on Saturdays, I remember in our house, my parents played classical music and jazz. But so I, I grew up, I grew up steeped in that from my parents, but my sisters and I listened to the radio incessantly. So I really loved 70s pop radio, all the hits of the 70s. And we, we taped them, we made our own playlists on our cassette tapes, like a dual cassette recorder and stuff like that. But the first album I ever bought was the Jackson 5. I love all kinds of music, but... I was in love with Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5. And um, I had pictures cut out from, like, whatever the magazine was at the time. I don't know if it was Teen Beat or whatever. I had pictures cut out of him in my closet as a little girl and and stuff like that. What inspired you to pick up a guitar or to sing? I got a guitar, I think, mostly because my cousin Kevin who was at Yale at the time when, when we were still in the New Haven area, he played guitar and sang professionally. And we just, me and my sisters, we thought he was just the most exquisite creature. And he took me when I was nine to get my first, uh, it was $24. It was a gut string, three quarter size guitar. And so from then on, I became obsessed with music and songwriting and, because I had a guitar, and so then I could start writing songs. And But all this, all this time, I had a lot of um, R&B music in my life, the classical, the jazz that my parents played. And then a little later on, I discovered Joni Mitchell, who blew my world wide apart as far as what a <laughs> songwriter could be and do. And then I, I loved all the great songwriters. like I loved Neil Young and Jackson Brown and Farron. Um, and then I got into more rock and roll. I find it really interesting that your musical influences are so similar to mine because I'm older than you are. I mean, I'm, I thought I was much older. Um, I'm 62, so I was born in 55. And mm-hmm. it just was really surprising when we were talking to Amy. She talked about how you both were such great uh, Elton John fans. And oh, it, I forgot about him. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the covers that you do, I think, end up being my favorite version of those songs from... Tangled Up in Blue to Midnight Turn to Georgia, um, Mona Lisa's and Manhattan's. I mean, the arrangements that you do, you and Amy do, are just so beautiful. Thanks. We, we, we pick songs that really move us so that when we're playing them, it's like it's just the best to play a song that you love, like a great cover song. So but thanks for saying that. So how do you think the two of you got the confidence to go from singing covers to performing your own music in public? Is I don't that a think big we leap? ever lacked the confidence to do that. No, it was more like, <laughs> will these bar people tolerate it? You know, like we mm-hmm. we'd be playing Margaritaville, but what we, we always had a desire very early on to put our own songs in the set list. And this was, you know, starting in high school. And we both had fake IDs, so we played young and out. <laughs> And 
but we would play the places where we could get gigs were where people wanted to come and and hear cover songs and so but we we didn't really lack the confidence we just thought well we may not get hired as much if we just play all original but it didn't take long before we started we made our own first single in 1985 and then we made the ep in 86 and then strange fire in 87 and so very, very early on, because I think I graduated high school in 81. And so by 85, we had already made a single. So it didn't take long for us to completely shift to being an original band. I just... And... Yeah, go ahead, Mama. No, no, go ahead. I was, it really wasn't a form thought. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best. Um, I, I was... I found this clip and I sent it to mom a few weeks ago. It's, um, it's your televised debut with Amy. Uh, you're on David Letterman and he yeah. introduces you guys and uh, you guys take the stage and you're ripped jeans and these, you know, big acoustic guitars. Uh, our next guests are natives of Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, this is their new album right here entitled Indigo Girls, making their network television debut right here on our program. Please welcome Indigo Girls. I was just wondering if, you, and then what, what was really funny was when you sat down and, and then he, you know, he was like, is it Indigo Girls or the Indigo Girls? And uh, you guys were like, whatever you like. <laughs> Yeah, I, and, you know, I, I, I watched it a couple of times, Emily, and, it, I mean, you are just, like, looking right, you know, right at the audience. You had absolute, I, I mean, you were just really on, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch, to, to you and Amy both, I mean, just were, just trying, you know, I got nervous before this phone call, and <laughs> it's just an amazing thing to me to think how young you were being in New York and being on, the, well, being we on did, television. Well, we did have each other. We, we had each other, which was great. And, and also, we just were always just who we were, you know. There was really never any artifice. And, so, and it was very exciting to be on the show, but it's a little awkward. I mean, I, I, I think I must have been nervous or at least highly, highly uh, full, shot full of adrenaline and, and excitement. Um, because you you want to be able to have carry on a, a natural dialogue, but it's David Letterman and your head is spinning and you're like, what are we doing? Why are we even here? This is amazing, <laughs> you know, just kind of mind blowing. Yeah. And and so we were lucky that he kind of took the ball and ran with it. With are you the Indigo Girls or Indigo Girls? And so we didn't have to talk a whole lot, and but we got a lot of <laughs> attention paid to the name, which was fun and thrilling, honestly. You're, no, no, no. It's just indigo, isn't it? I can't remember. No, I think it is just indigo. What, what, does, the, what does the name of the group mean? What, what is the... Uh... She made it up. I, I let her... It's just, uh, we needed a name, a group name, so I went through the dictionary for some ideas. Uh -huh. Well, good. And I found that. I was out of town. And I said indigo. <laughs> and we went on to play his show several times after that, and it was always a feeling of, I can't even believe this is happening. Very exciting. Yeah, I can't imagine. You talk about not having this artifice, but, um, you know, you were really thrust on a national stage really quickly. And I'm, can you describe what that felt like um, going from, you know, performing at bars to, you know, uh, filling up concert halls and, you know, really being the voice of a generation? 
Well, I don't know about the voice of a generation part because we were just, you know, like for for forever, all we ever wanted to do was get the next best gig, like even in high school and and in college. We just were always trying to get a really good gig, and we set up our own little baby tours, put all the gear in the back seat, you know, ate crappy food on the road, drove hours and hours and hours, played 13 days in a row until 3 in the morning. I mean, it never was it was just fun. The whole thing was fun. And we never got tired back then. Um, now Amy may feel differently about this. I don't know, but for me, every bit of that getting signed to a major and winning a Grammy and starting to fill up concert halls and was absolutely thrilling. Everything about it. Sometimes I miss it. You know, sometimes I miss that first rush where, it's all happening, you know, in a, in a big way. And But the great thing was is that we never adjusted anything for it. We still wrote our own songs, arranged them the way we wanted to. The record company never messed with us. And, um, and so no matter what was happening for us, we still felt very, very rooted uh, and grounded. This is a song about repeating patterns. Two stories above the streets It's awful quiet here since love fell asleep There's life down below me The kids are walking home from school And the only thing that was, was bad was that we first tried to go out for weeks at a time because it's kind of like make hay when the sun shines, whatever. Um, but it was we were miserable touring that long. And we decided very, very early on, for the sake of our friendship and the lives that we wanted to lead, that we'd never go out for more than three and a half weeks at a time. And so we set that, you know, practically after we got signed and everything sort of exploded a bit. And that's really kept us rooted in our home lives. And, but that stuff was super thrilling for me. I don't know if Amy was as cared about it as much, but I have to say that I did. I loved it. Uh, I, I can can only imagine, and I think in a way you look like you were almost born to it. I I just was so touched from the beginning by your by your lyrics and and the, and the poetry of your songs, and and just really also the the depth of meaning in the song. Um, the the song Watershed was uh, became an anthem for me of sorts. Back of my hand, the gold and the rainbow, nothing panned out as I planned. They say only I made a, a business decision, a career decision that was really impactful. I decided to uh, downsize my my company and, and move my office home when my kids were about four and six years old because it just wasn't working for me. You know, just like you say, I mean, touring more than three and a half weeks is you realized early on and I really admired that because I was a bit older. By the time I realized, you know, I had to do something to try to get some balance in my life. But anyway, mm -hmm. so just, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the words, um, you know, until your agony is your heaviest load, I, I think I'm naturally a person who agonized, especially in my youth, I'm much better now, 
agonized over decisions and never really felt like I, I knew in certain important situations what was right and what was wrong but the, right you know right. just that song really helped me a lot and um you know really brought me to a conclusion and um it was it, you know, it was probably one of the most important decisions that i that i made and so i'm not saying it's you know because of you but but that's how important a, a song can be for someone um i know i mean I, and, I i'm glad that 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 song was for you i mean the great thing about Music is like the way Amy and I write. We're just writing about our own lives and our observations. Um, obviously, we see three things through our lens. But the truth is that a lot of people go through the same things, and music is really galvanizing. It makes us feel less alone, and it empowers us. And it, um, you know, whether it feels like a collective thing or an individual thing. I was curious if you could share, if you remember the what you were. Um, when you were standing in the forest on the road and you can stand there and agonize, do you, did that, uh, those lyrics, that song come from a specific point in time, a specific decision that you had to make? Oh gosh, who knows back then? I remember exactly where I was when I wrote it. I remember where I lived and what apartment I was living and um, I remember my cat who used to hang on the green, attach himself and hang from the screens and with his claws and uh, Batman. And so I remember the surrounding areas really, really clearly. But, you know, like you, I, I had difficulty making clear decisions and feeling fully confident in them. I was always able to see both sides. I mean, even when I was getting ready to go to grad school and Amy was, you know, doing a lot of the work and I was sort of straddling music and, and grad school and a career possibly as a teacher, you know, I couldn't really decide. And then Amy's like, well, you know, you got to kind of decide, is it this or is it that? And so finally I took the leap for music and never looked back. But, um, yeah, I'm sure it was just some, just, just another one of life's decisions that made me think about writing that song. I came across this article that uh, was an interview of you and your dad in Rolling Stone last year, uh, talking about Methodist church policies. And yeah. I just wanted to uh, quote, this is an abbreviated excerpt of, of the closing comments of that article, and I just wanted to uh, read it to you. It says, uh, you say, let's talk about Jesus. If you want the church to be like Jesus, you are caring and loving. You're talking about a guy who taught social justice for humanity. I'm not some Pollyanna, but I have faith that people can grow and evolve rather than shrink and destroy themselves. And, you know, Emily, I, I knew your father was a professor at Emory. I hadn't known until, uh, you know, the last few days that he was a religion professor. And it just made me think, reading, reading this article, that your statements about Jesus and about religion really underscore that in many ways you're carrying on the work of your father because essentially you're combining music and ministry in a way, uh, especially in the way your fans relate to your songs and you and, and Amy have such a deep commitment to social justice and to uh, social activism. I just was wondering if you'd ever thought about your work as being a legacy from or an homage to your dad? 
That's an interesting question. Uh, not specifically, not an homage, but I have to credit my dad and my mom with providing us with a very open arena in our home growing up for questioning, for searching. We did grow up going to church, and um, we would come home and sit around the Sunday dinner table and just talk about religion and politics and whatever we were allowed to question. And and so I think that mom and dad just allowed me to be a seeker, which I always have been. Um, I think with, with an organized religion, or my dad's a professor of theology, and there is a focus, in, you know, at the crux of... Um, going out and spreading the word about the faith, you know, and we don't do that. We're just um, seekers and questioners. There aren't any spiritual leaders. We're just asking these questions, and music is a very powerful conduit um, to start at the beginning of a question and then sort of find your way through it. My dad and I actually wrote a book together, and it's uh, we explored music as a tool for spiritual seeking, and so we compared Saturday night, which was me and Amy singing music at the bar, and Sunday morning, which was Dad doing music at church, and we talked about the crossover <laughs> between those two experiences. So there's definitely many, many intersections um, at the points of uh, spirituality, seeking, and music. So were you still going to church once you started to play in bars? I. I did for a long time. I, I don't go regularly now. I'm sort of finding my way through. I have very strong opposition to the language of the current Methodist Church, which won't ordain or doesn't condone um, homosexuality. But the church has given me so much, and my faith is at, at the very center of my being. I, I am a believer in, in a great spiritual power, a wise and benevolent, uh, spiritual power, um, but I don't subscribe to doctrines the way I thought I did when I was younger. I think that's that's fair, and it's also part of uh, maturing. I know for me, I'm, I was raised Jewish, and I have a very strong tie to to being Jewish, both to the religion and the culture. But I, I know I was very ambivalent about it in my teen and young adult years. But when I had children, when Rose was born, it was really something that I, I gave a lot of thought to because it was important to me that, that she have at least a foundation of religious underpinnings to, to be able to make a decision as to whether or not that was something she wanted as a guiding force. Are you having any of those feelings now that you're a mom? Absolutely. I'm at the place where you were, you know, my wife and I, we, we talk about possibly trying to find a community where Cleo could learn um, about exploration of faith. And so, and I, the parts of the church that I grew up in were the parts that I really loved, which are the rituals and the the seasons, the hymns, the seasons of hope, the seasons mm-hmm. of darkness. Just, I think it's important for human beings to be tied to ritual and to seasons and the music you know still stirs my soul like old hymns and and so i i have found it important to me that cleo can at least be exposed to that so she can make her own choices mm-hmm. i will yeah. you know for us i will say that um well this is rose and my dad is christian he um from, you know methodist southern methodist 
background. And um, for us, I feel like the home was always a place, like you described your you know, Sunday dinner table, where we could question. And I think mom and dad were very open with what they appreciated and what they didn't like or what they did like. And I think that that kind of openness and, you know, kids are, it's, my dad always said it was easy for the kids, it's hard for adults. Adding up the total of all of that's true. Multiply life by the power of two. I was looking at your, your touring schedule for the summer, and I, knowing how much you're, you're touring and, and how you, family is important to you, I just wonder how do you make time to perform as the four voices? Well, we, we typically have a lot of irons in the fire right now. We're, we're listening to tracks that are being mixed from our symphony concert that we recorded in April in Colorado that we're going to release as a record. And I'm working on uh, my solo album packaging and getting ready to launch the social media. And But this Four Voices tour is extremely important to me and Amy. And so when we all decided, and to Chapin and, and Joan as well, and so when we all decided to do it, we started circulating emails and picking the songs we were going to do. So we're doing a lot of pre-planning so that when we have three days of rehearsals, two days of rehearsals of the songs, and then a third day as a production rehearsal, wow. and then we start the tour. So and that is not a lot of time to learn the no. songs, but, but because Joan will have some of hers and Shane will have some of hers and Amy and I will have some of ours, we're really, obviously, me and Amy, we focus on uh, uh, Chapin's and Joan's songs, and, and they did the same for ours. Um, but we care a lot about the quality of performance, and we want it to be as good as possible. And, we, you know, we change our set lists every night in our own, uh, you know, musical shows and stuff. And so nothing is ever, oh, this is just what it is, and we can learn this and be done with it and just carry on. It's all fresh and new and because we care so much about it. Um, just, it, you know, you perform better when you practice. That's just a fact of life. And mm -hmm. it, it makes a better show. It makes for a better experience for all the fans, too. When the rooster crows at the break of dawn Look out your window and I'll be gone You're the reason I've traveled on And don't think twice it's all I'm curious whether you you're, will you have a musical director or someone that that's responsible for sort of leading the four of you, or is it really just a, a product of coming together and seeing how things sound best? Yeah, it's just us. You know, we would say, uh -huh. you know, Chapin Wright, Amy, play maybe play mandolin on this, and Emily, can you take the lead on this song and. And Joan will say, oh, I can take that verse. And we've had a lot of email communication, and there's no musical director. We are the musical directors. Mm -hmm. And we'll be able to tell what, what feels right and what's working, and then we'll, that, then we'll put the concert together. Do you have a current obsession that Mom and I should listen to? I know that once she was at your house and you played Leave On by Elton John, and I think that you went through a big Mary J. Blige obsession at one point, and... Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could leave it. <laughs> well, I um, I just supported my friend Deb Talon from the Weepies. The Weepies are one of my favorite bands, and Deb just made a uh, solo record uh, through Kickstarter, 
and I can't, I just got it like two days ago because I've been rehearsing. I haven't even had time to listen to it yet, but she's, the Weepies and Deb Talon, her voice, her writing is very, very evocative and moving to me. So I'm really, really looking forward to sinking my teeth into that solo record. I think it's called Lucky Girl. Okay. Well, we can't wait to sink our teeth into your solo record. And yeah, yeah, I can't wait for you to. Yeah, well, well, Mom, you'll have some new songs to play on guitar for me. Yeah, well, I'll have to practice. All right, we're going to get on the midnight train to Georgia. What a thrill. Yeah, it was a thrill. She's got a really interesting background, but it's still, isn't it interesting how many people who are musical come from musical families it's just, it's, it's a fascinating fact for me. You know, what a profound influence to, to be Emily Saliers today, really because she got, she made friends with, with Amy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, it still is amazing to me that they are still co- collaborating and still talking and because people can get so petty in, in a situation like that. It's really inspiring. Yeah, to me, the what comes out of their mutual respect is just really um, powerful. And I have friendships that I know wouldn't be able to handle any of that. Most of my friendships couldn't handle that kind of um, work, discipline, emotional effort, and coordination at all. Yeah. Um, well, all right. I'm going to close my eyes for a few minutes. <laughs> you recover. All right. All right. Go rest. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for eavesdropping on Me and Mom Play Fangirl to Emily Saliers. We hope you can catch her Four Voices tour this June. Pretty amazing that the Indigo Girls are touring with Joan Baez and Mary Chapin Carpenter. And look for Emily's solo album to come out this fall. Songs featured in this episode were by the Indigo Girls, Jackson 5, Bob Dylan, and Gladys Knight and the Pips. Special thanks to the Indigo Girls team, Carrie Roble and Matthew Reed. The wonderful Dara Hirsch scored and mixed this episode. This is a Rose Reed production. On the next episode, we interview mom's all-time favorite DJ, Jonathan Schwartz of WNYC's The Jonathan Channel. And if you want to see mom and me perform live in New York on June 17th for free, we'll be doing a live episode featuring my grandparents and Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett! Oh! I adore him. Go to our website, detailsplease.org, to RSVP.